Hello and welcome to another episode of Unprofessional. I am Dave Wiskus and I am joined as always by Lex Friedman. Hi Dave. And today our very special guest is Paul Kafasis. Hello. Now, did he say that right? Yeah, did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Kafasis, Kafasis? How? Uh, Kafasis. There... Oh, so I did get it wrong. Yeah, well, I, I, I was letting you go, but then you... See, to me, that's the biggest problem. People aren't mastering the Kafasis pronunciation because you don't tell them when they're making a mistake. It's really your fault. Well, I'm not that much of a jackass. <laughs> give, give it time. <laughs> but, Paul, I'm excited you're here today because you've gone through at least some of the medical scares that I've gone through uh, before I did. So I got to, to live, I got to, you know, be prepared for them mentally before I had to go through them myself. Yeah, trailblazing. I appreciate that. Some of, I'm, I'm curious which ones I've missed or, you know, I, I guess maybe we'll get into it. Yeah, well, let's, let's get into our bodies, Paul. Let's dive right in. You kids and your bodies constantly exploring. Well, let's, let's, do, let's go chronologically, approximately for you. What was your, you mentioned before we started recording that you hadn't, uh, you didn't spend your whole life going in and out of hospitals. This is more of a, a, a modern crisis for you? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's something where, given the, the past year that I had, I, I might sound rather sickly, and that's not actually the case. Uh, I well, guess, well, last year I had, I had two entrances into a hospital. And prior to that, I'd never been admitted to a hospital before. So, yeah, it's something where it's not exactly how I would define myself, but apparently it's how you define me. So Right. Well, it, it is an infinity percent increase, if my numbers here are correct. I'm, I'm using the built-in calculator. I don't know how good it is. From, from zero to any, right, exactly. So, so, so what, what was it? How did you end up in the hospital twice in the past year? Well, so in March of 2011, I guess, is that right? Yeah. I had a kidney stone. Uh, and that was actually the second kidney stone I'd had. So the first one, they took me in, they gave me some drugs, and then they kicked me out. Uh, I didn't have to stay there at all. Uh, the last one, the second one, rather, hopefully the last one, uh, I had to stay overnight. And they were talking about all sorts of horrific-sounding surgeries before they said, eh, you're okay, you can go. Why did they keep you overnight for that one? What, what made them more concerned the second time around? So, I mean, this is in in both these instances that that we're going to talk about. It's actually rather uh, disgusting, but uh, I guess it's rather natural. Uh, in in the first case, I was not able to urinate at all. So when that happens, they know that there's some kind of blockage, and if you can't do that for more than I don't know, I'm not a medical doctor, but <laughs> if you can't do that for very long, that's a problem, and that's when they need to start gutting you like a fish and get rid of whatever's preventing you from being able to pee. So when I wasn't able to do that for a while, they kept me there and they said, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens overnight. And fortunately enough, uh, the stone moved or got kicked loose a little bit and I was eventually able to urinate. And at that point they said, okay, we're just going to let you pass it. And wow. So go now, home. When you couldn't go, did you, yeah. was it the, was it the hellish situation I'm imagining where you felt like you had to go, but literally could not, or did you not even have the urge? No, no. I mean, again, I don't know the biology of this or, or, or whatever, but uh, I, I didn't really feel anything. It was just, nope, don't have to go. And there's plenty of pain, but it didn't really, it wasn't like, oh, God, I really got to go, but I can't uh, because something physically is blocking it. I don't think you can really, uh, I don't think your, your body does that to you. Gotcha. Did they figure it out immediately or did you have to go like, uh, through a series of tests? No, for that one, because it was my second one and because I, you know, knew, <laughs> I knew what it felt like, uh, I think I went in there and I said, uh, I'm pretty sure I've got a kidney stone. 
and you know they do a couple different tests and they i'm pretty sure they if i recall correctly they rapidly identified what that was so that's that was good not... i i've never never had that but my personal uh, approach to this is to check webmd and so i'd be going and explaining that i had cancer <laughs> right, right, because that's that's pretty much what all symptoms lead to. Uh, I, I don't think cancer generally has the acute pain that that a kidney stone will, but uh, maybe. I mean, for me, I you know I had two hospital well two trips to the hospital for kidney stones both in the past couple of months. The first one, you know, I woke up. It was a Saturday morning, so we didn't have any rush to get out of bed that day, and it was early still. It was you know four thirty, four forty five, and my wife is asleep, and the one year old is asleep between us, and I do not want to wake them up. And I'm, I don't know that it's a kidney stone yet. I've had a lifelong fear of kidney stones ever since my dad had told me about the ones he had had in his, I don't know, early 30s. As like bedtime stories he told you this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, he had just come up and he had told, you know, about peeing blood and incredible pain and how various pregnant women or various women who had previously had babies and also had kidney stones told him that the kidney stone pain was much, much worse. And so right. I'd really been scared off. So Have a great day at school. <laughs> yeah. So I'm... Uh, I've had this intense back pain, and it's hot and intense and awful, and it's around my. I'm not. I I am a doctor. No, I'm not. Uh, but it was around the the lower right flank. I think they call it of the back. That that is what they call it. Yes, that's the medical term. I'm thinking this is maybe this is like a Charlie horse that moved up to my back. Maybe I slept funny. I'm going to stretch, and it it did not go away. Uh, so I waited a long time to to wake up my wife and son. It was easily 45 to 55 seconds, and. Then I said, we have to go to the hospital now. And indeed we did. And I, I figured that it was a kidney stone, even though I didn't want to believe it. And I was in denial for a while. But I am not ashamed, I am ashamed, to admit that uh, tears were shed. I mean, when I got to the hospital, I was a mess. And they, uh, you know, I, I assume you had to go through the same thing where, you know, they did MRIs to find where the stones were and what size they were and how many. And interestingly enough, the hospital said, so the one that you're passing is, I don't remember now, X millimeters. Right. And um, that's all they told me. And so they gave me lots of drugs. You know, they said, usually the first dose of these IV drugs we're going to give you aren't enough. Uh, And so 45 minutes later, I was still a mess. And they said, yeah, that wasn't enough. So they gave me lots more. And eventually they let me go. And 12 hours later, it was gone. And that was good. Why would they start you with something they know isn't going to work? I don't. I because they're horrible people. They're stingy. They are. They are stingy when they start you off. But so then I go see a urologist, which is you know the in thing to do, and he said, okay, so you pass that one. And what they didn't tell you while at the hospital while you were at the hospital is that you have two or three others, one of which looks to be about double the size of the one you already passed. So that's when they schedule you for the radio wave. Oh, they hit you with the the sonar or whatever, right? Yeah. It's, or sound wave, right? Sound wave yeah. blasting. So that's a hospitalization where you go in and you it's an uh, they have to put you to sleep because apparently when they beam these sound waves through your kidneys, it would be very painful if you were awake. And you know the doctor has told me ahead of time, don't worry about it. When you wake up, you'll feel fine. The, Is that when you called me crying? Probably. The nurse told me ahead of time. <laughs> She, who, the, the admitting nurse said, by the way, uh, people always tell us that when they wake up from this, it's extremely painful. So you should look forward to that. <laughs> so she was right. And the doctor was full of shit. What a um, big move. And I mean, so I woke up from that and it was horrible. But I was like, OK, this is easy because I was peeing out little bits of crap. But you no, know, nothing. Well, not literally, but little bits of stone, I guess, for the next couple weeks or days. And it wasn't so bad. I, you barely noticed it. Didn't feel anything. And then like two weeks later. I'm suddenly hit with this incredible 
pain that I thought it wasn't the same pain. It was different because I was feeling it in my appendix area. And I go back to the hospital and they're like, huh. So we thought they had really successfully blasted up that one kidney stone. But the fragment that's left is still larger than the one you already passed. So right. I have to go through the whole journey again of them giving you drugs and then giving you more drugs. And then that one took like another day and a half to pass. And it was horrible. And I never want it to happen again. And I'm scared every day whenever I feel any pain that it's going to be a kidney stone. Well, so did they, so, so we're, we're really getting into the nitty gritty here, but did they tell you what type of, of stone it was? When they, they did analyze the first one, they didn't analyze the second one. Right. Um, Cause they're probably the same. Right. I believe it was, I think the common type is calcium. Is that right? Uh, sure. And I think it was, I think it was calcium, but my, my doctor was looking at it and looking at me and my medical history which is you know generally speaking normal he said he said i don't have any idea why you got these kidney stones there's nothing that i think you should change with your diet and there's nothing that i think you should change behaviorally and his only instinct was you know i started 2012 weighing like 217 pounds and now i'm like 190 pounds and he said you know sometimes with weight loss you can cause dehydration on you know not long-term dehydration but just periods each day where you don't drink enough and then little bits of particulates start to group together and it's really great so that was his best guess but he doesn't know so i'm just constantly in fear well right so that's that's sort of the thing is that is that when you have one they often just say eh, you know it happens but when you have a second one and and mine was like seven years later that's when they really test it and they say okay uh, you need to change x y and z uh so that's that's what happened to me is that with the second one they told they put me on or they tried to put me on a uh, low oxalate diet which is it's the calcium type and, you know, they want me to avoid things like uh, raspberries and all sorts of other things that I guess have uh, oxalic acid in them, uh, which, you know, sort of that's that's when it actually starts to, to hit home is that uh, there's actually something that they want you to do about it. And uh, it's not necessarily terribly appealing because the list of foods is a whole bunch of great foods and then like beets, which I wasn't <laughs> eating anyway. So this conversation is scaring the hell out of me. Did you change oh, yeah. what you're eating? Like, did you heed their advice? Uh, the list is on my refrigerator does that count for anything (laughs) and unfortunately it's on the shopping list which is the big problem (laughs) no no i mean i look at it and and you know i certainly the the biggest thing is is like you mentioned is dehydration so i mean the biggest thing is staying hydrated so i am constantly drinking water uh well beyond what you know is recommended uh on average so uh, the ideal thing for me is hopefully i can just continue flushing everything out and, and not have to worry about it but uh i don't know we'll see in another few years if uh if i get to go through this yet again yeah now i mean so yeah i drink all day and then there's the obvious and unsurprising downside of drinking all day now of drinking water i should say all day which is constant constant bathroom breaks all day which i yeah. find really annoying well that should be good news that means that uh, if you were to have some problem passing something you'd catch it quickly <laughs> yeah great now, Dave, have you been hospitalized? Have you had big, exciting, life-threatening, or scary, painful conditions? I've had some stuff. Uh, like Paul, <laughs> I didn't really have any medical problems for a very long time. For most of my life, it was uh, pretty smooth sailing. A couple of years ago, I went through this thing where I had this this bizarre lower abdominal thing, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Of course, WebMD told me it was like six different kinds of cancer. I think I had ovarian cancer at one point. Uh, so I go in, and I see a doctor at a not even a real doctor. I mean, it was a real doctor, but not like going into the ER or going into my regular physician. I went to um, went into an urgent care and, and saw this doctor, and I had to do the whole thing. And they wanted to check for testicular cancer, which was the, their first concern, and that was fun. And they they didn't find uh, anything that wasn't supposed to be there, which is good. 
But they did write me a prescription to go and get an ultrasound done. Yep. And I think that might be the most embarrassing, awkward experience of my life is having having a woman rub gel on uh, a very well. I can just say it, my testicles. And then was it a was it a like twenty something uh, moderately to very attractive woman? Uh, that I think that might have made the experience better. Really? That okay. Because I've had several of these, and it has always <laughs> for been. fun? Always been. No, for kidney stones and other things. It has always been a, like, 29-year-old attractive female, and I don't know what is going on, because it's, it's not, it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. So uh, what's, what's your health care plan? <laughs> <laughs> you think, you think you want, you're trying to switch? It's not sexual. It's not fun. It, it makes it worse. You're better off with, I don't know, what did you have? It sounds like maybe she was ancient or something. Uh, yeah, she was, I don't know, like in her 50s or something. Nice. That's hot. Well, my girlfriend was, at the time was in the room, and they, I don't know, it was awkward with the, okay, we'll pull this sheet up, and then we'll sort of make a hole in the sheet, and then here's another, here's like a towel, can you lift up, and we'll put the towel on time, and we'll just expose the area that we absolutely need to see. God. Was, uh yeah. I have. I. I'm just thinking back to all the times I've shown doctors my penis, <laughs> just for fun. Uh, sometimes when I had appointments, um, you know, it's. I. There's a, a decent amount of skin cancer in my family history, and I have a lot of birthmarks and moles and things that I see the dermatologist every three or so months and get stuff removed all the time. Uh, my dermatologist growing up would always say, I love whacking things off when Lex is here. Uh, and that was his standard joke with me, probably with all of his patients who we remove moles from. Hmm. But. Um, yeah, so you know, I, I, uh, I had one dermatologist who liked had this computer software where they took photos of all your moles so they could change them each year, and then I had some in the penile area, and they would take photos of those, and I would say, I hope those don't end up on the internet, and they would say, you know, everybody says that, so now you're not only naked and getting your penis photographed, but you're also being told that your jokes are unoriginal. It's a very uplifting experience. Did they end up on the? Can you put them in the show notes? Yeah. By the way, it's uh, if you go to heyladies.com. dot <laughs> com. All right. So uh, Dave. So Dave, what happened here? Yeah. They scan your testicle, and what do they find? Uh, well, they found testicles, which I'm really happy about. <laughs> they they do the ultrasound, and I can see the picture. They've got the uh, the thing on the screen, and and there's things moving, blood flowing, and then she offers to let me listen to the blood flowing through my own testicles, which was a pretty amazing experience, I have to say. Life changing, uh, life enhancing. <laughs> it made me feel a little bit more human, but it was also weird to look at that ultrasound screen, which I've always seen in the context of a baby. Right. So to, to look at that screen and not see a baby, but rather see a part of my own anatomy, more or less from the inside, was a a weird a weird context shift. But uh, the 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 result of this was that they couldn't find anything, and I wound up being fine. The problem eventually just went away. So now my standard medical procedure is. Whatever I'm feeling, however concerned I get, I start with saying, oh, that's strange. And then within a week or two, uh, I'm crying and I have cancer. And then a week or two after that, it goes away and I forget about it. So I just never bother seeing doctors anymore. That's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> you said, Paul, that, that kidney stone was just one of the hospitalizations. Was there something else that you ended up in the hospital for? Oh, well, yeah, there was. So, again, this is last year. And that was, that was one day. That was easy. Uh, that was, the kidney stone was right before... Uh, South by Southwest actually last year, so I wound up going to South by Southwest right after they let me out of the hospital. Uh, so it clearly was not that big a deal if I could go down there and at least have a few drinks. Right. But uh, in December, I wound up in the hospital for uh, I think it was about ten days, uh, 
which was that was that one was was much more of a big deal. I, I think if I'm recalling correctly, this was your big Google Plus post. The one time you used Google Plus was for this purpose. The one time, besides you know linking to something I've done somewhere else, uh, was indeed for for this because I didn't know where else to put it. Uh, so it was it was the the best use of Google Plus I've ever had. Uh, well, so I, I went in. Uh, no, so I woke up uh, much like you uh, on, I think it was a Sunday actually, but uh, in incredible pain and uh, sort of flopped around on the bed for a little while thinking, oh, you know, I have a stomach ache or whatever stupid thing I was rationalizing. And eventually realized that, no, I needed to go to the hospital and had a friend drive me to the hospital. There was vomiting, right? Uh, there was, there was. I was. I just figure if we're going to talk about you know bodily fluids, let's make sure we hit on as many as we can. We might want to edit a disclaimer at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I don't know who's going to want to listen to this. I, I don't want to. I, I I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm doing that. So I guess maybe people will listen to it even if they don't want to. But uh, so so yeah. So I I had incredible pain, and I was I it, uh, an hour or so, an hour or two maybe before I went to the hospital, and I was limping around the house and uh, just you know, trying to figure out what was wrong and, uh, eventually, yeah, uh, vomited and, and said, no, you know what? I'm going to go to the ER now and, uh, got a ride to the ER and got checked in and, and they do the, uh, if you guys have been to the ER, you know this and, and hopefully at least Lex, you had this, they give you the pain scale Yes, and, and it's, it's from zero to 10 and, and they sometimes show you a little picture and there's a little smiling face and that's a zero. And I don't know why you'd be in the ER if you needed that. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to talk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was lonely, uh, but I'm still happy somehow. Uh, and then, and then ten is you know this miserable looking face, and and there's and obviously they want you to pick somewhere in between. And and I think that this this scale is deeply flawed because you don't want to ever tell them it's a ten, because you think well you know it could probably be worse. Right. And so you rationalize it and you say well you know it's and especially having had a kidney stone this was probably equal pain or maybe a little less but so i said you know uh, you know seven or eight it was very it was very bad pain but apparently Big mistake. yeah exactly huge mistake because that's how they choose when you get to go in right right that's how they triage is is based on this 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 score among other things right and when you go in either be bleeding or say 10 that's our advice to you today folks that is that is absolutely the takeaway of this show is that if you are in severe pain your pride has no place there. Just say, uh, it is a 10, and maybe, you know, if you stabbed me in the face, I would call that an 11. But on my scale, this is a 10, and I want to be looked at right away. Because what happened is that I gave him a 7 or an 8 or whatever, and I sat in the waiting room for, you know, it could have been 90 seconds. I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was a while, but uh, it was probably not as long as I think it was. But I sat in the waiting room for maybe an hour. And finally, somebody took me away and uh, looked me over and, and gave me something that started to have an effect. Uh, but so, th- that's like, like I said, that's the takeaway. Is if, if you are in pain, tell them you are in as much pain as you are in so that they take it seriously. Also, I will say the, the second kidney stone I had, which was far worse, I guess because it was bigger than the first one, when I went to the ER and went to the triage desk that time, uh, they did not ask. They said, I'm going to guess you're a 10. And I said, yes. But they didn't ask that time. I didn't have to point or look at the pictures because that's how, that's how pathetic I was at that moment. They could just, well, your face looked like the picture. Yeah, basically it was a drawing of me on the screen, yes. 
So, so either be bleeding, tell them a 10, or look like a 10 is, <laughs> is, is the advice here. Yeah, I don't think I've ever gone in with the 10. I, uh, unlike, I guess you guys, whenever I go to the ER, it's usually because I did something to hurt myself. <laughs> something more obvious and, and the, the cause of the pain is, is right in front of them? Well, it's not not like you know I'm constantly injuring myself. Uh, I a few years ago I was uh, oh god I was walking through a store. I'd gone to an arts and crafts store to buy of all things a single sheet of pink paper, <laughs> and I'm walking to the front to the the cash register to pay for this single sheet of pink paper, and they've got those big like bargain bins. You know they they throw all the crap in. It's like ninety nine cents. You just reach in and grab some crap out of this metal cage. And I'm walking uh, with my girlfriend at the time again, uh, and I guess I walked too close, and the corner of this cage, like my hand bumped into it, and then I sort of walked into my hand, so my hand got pinched between the corner of the cage and me with the momentum of me walking. It didn't pierce the skin or anything, but like I caught it, and I was like, oh, fuck, that hurts. And then I'm standing there in line, I'm like, this, this hurts a lot more than I think it should. A lot more than I think it should. And I remember thinking... Because it was my left hand, I remember thinking, "Well, I hope I can. Like, I hope I didn't do any nerve damage. I hope I can still play guitar." And the next thing I remember is waking up on the floor. <laughs> Apparently, the pain was so bad I passed out. And I'm told, I obviously didn't see this, but I'm told that my eyes rolled back into my head and I fell straight back, stiff as a board, and my head hit the the linoleum tile so hard <laughs> that my glasses came off my face. Nice. And I remember waking up and I've got these people standing around me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And in my head, it's like, I'm not ready to wake up yet. Like, let me sleep a little bit longer. And they're like, no, no, you need to, you need to get up. You, you need to, are you okay? Are you okay? You've, you've been hurt. And I was very confused and everything was very blurry. And they give me my glasses back and I, I, I get up and I'm insisting, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. My mom and my girlfriend convinced me I should go to the hospital. They, they take me there. And I walk in and uh, I didn't have to do the pain scale thing. I, I thought I was being funny. I walk up to the front desk girl and she asks if she can help me. And because it was a head injury, I thought I'd, I thought I'd be cute about it. She asks what they can do. And I say, yeah, are you still serving breakfast? And they, they look at my girlfriend like, what happened? She goes, head injury. And they rush me right in. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you were conscious of what you were saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I, other than a bad headache, I felt fine. Right. So they just thought that you had a perhaps more severe head injury than you actually did. All right. So faking it, we've got all kinds of advice on how right. to... Basically, this is the show about jumping the line at the ER. Which, by the way, is really freaking important. Listen, if somebody's actually dying, they'll get them in ahead of you. But if you're in severe pain, you've got to get yourself taken care of. Or if you're just in a hurry like Dave was. But so anyway, I'm repainting the picture now. Paul is in incredible stomach pain. He's, they've given him some medicine. And you're in the ER. But they don't actually know what's wrong yet. Right. So at that point, uh, God, I, I should look at my own Google post because this is 10 days that I've ideally blocked from my memory. But uh, they did, they ran a bunch of tests, I know. And I had to do, uh, I think it's a barium test where you swallow some awful liquid and they put you in the CAT scan. Uh, and I think, uh, if I recall, that came back up. So the test was, I had to do it again. So I drank this stuff and it's horrific. Uh, and they try to flavor it like fruit punch, but it's the worst fruit punch you've ever had. <laughs> I think it came back up, so then I had to drink it again. Oh, hopefully they gave you a fresh batch. <laughs> a, a, fresh, a fresh cup, exactly, yeah. You know, they, they, they ran a couple tests, and they, they couldn't find anything. And they could find what it was, and they didn't see a kidney stone. They didn't see, you know, appendicitis. Uh, they didn't see gallstones. And... They, you know, they'd send me back to the ER and I'd sit there and moan and, you know, be a, a miserable mess. 
this since, since I'd gone in early in the morning, they had all day to run these tests, and eventually they uh, decided they had to admit me, which was you know twelve hours later, and uh, you know they finally took me upstairs, took me to a room, and uh, they'd cut me off. I, I remember that that was really the issue was they'd cut me off from both foods and liquids. So when they do that, they they stick you on an IV, and you know your body's getting uh, generally enough nutrition, but I was dehydrated because I'd not had any fluids all day, uh, by mouth. And I remember talking to the doctors and then talking to the nurse when I finally got up there and I said, you know, can I get something? They, they were very insistent that I, that I was fine and that I didn't need anything. And I said, well, no, I've been throwing up all day and you know the iv that you put me on is very minimal right and they said oh hell and they you know so somebody had not gotten the message that uh i was not taking anything and whatever iv they had me on was very minimal or you know maybe i'm not uh, maybe i'm misremembering and i didn't wasn't on an iv at all i just remember being severely dehydrated knowing it and having a nurse sort of yell at me about it for pressing the issue and then very shortly after, returning tail between her legs, realizing she had been wrong wow. and that I was indeed quite dehydrated. Uh, so that's Sunday night. They admit me. And over the next couple of days... So now it's been uh, a week though, right? No, no, no. Oh, this, this is, is all this the same is just day. The day. Sorry, all the this same is all day. the same day, yeah. Uh, so the next couple of days is where uh, they don't know what's wrong and they don't really have any more tests they can run. Uh, so what the, the medical explanation in this sort of case apparently is a virus. Just quote a virus and, you know, no explanation of what virus this might be, how you might get it, whatever. Apparently, this sort of thing happens and 24 to maybe 48 hours later, you'll be fine. And so that's sort of when they can't find anything, they just say, well, it's literally what they call a 24-hour bug. And it's something that your body will just get through and that'll be the end of it. So when they don't have any other explanation, they just pin it on an unseen virus. Just wait. My dad always used to take... T and J, which uh, was was his prescription for patients who he couldn't help more directly. T and J, which stood for time and Jesus. Hmm. Wait, wasn't your dad Jewish? Yes, still is, hmm. as far as I know. What, what type of doctor was your dad? Uh, he was an orthopedic surgeon. I don't think he ever told that to patients exactly. I think he told that to family friends who were hurt and there was nothing they could do about it. I see, I see. Okay, so they, they did some medical stuff and then they, they prescribed the T and J. Exactly. Now we're on the same page. Right. Uh, so... Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, I'm in severe pain, uh, and my body has basically shut down uh, the, we'll refer to it as the lower half of the body. Nothing is coming in, I'm not allowed to eat, I'm not allowed to drink, and nothing is going out. And this is theoretically more than the 24 to 48 hours at this point than they have predicted. Right, at this point it has now been multiple days. The thing that the hospital wants is they want you to pass gas, and they want you to defecate, which is, you know... Pretty much all I want out of life, too. It's, it's, it's pretty basic. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I'm doing neither of these things, and they don't know why. They tell me, oh, well, the, the painkillers that you're on will prevent this sort of thing. So uh, removing the painkillers from the equation, uh, the narcotics specifically, is, is something we want you to try. And so I would do this. I would go for you know, 8, 10, 12 hours without any real pain medicine besides I think they were giving me, you know, ibuprofen, something like that. And the pain would get so bad that I would then sort of have to have it and curse myself because this would be 
setting me back and it would be preventing my digestive system from working uh, from what they were telling me. So it's this awful cycle of, okay, I'm going to get through 12 hours of pain and my body will start kicking in again and I will be able to, to do these things that they tell me I should be able to do and uh, then I will be making progress. And 12 hours in, I'd say, okay, this pain is incredible and I can't do it any longer. Maybe I'll try again tomorrow. Wow. Uh, so this is, again, this is about four days worth of this over time. And just having no idea what's wrong with me, you know, having different, all kinds of different doctors come in and poke at me and, and not have any idea. And, and they can't really do much without running more tests, which they don't want to do because, uh, like the CT scan is, uh, involves radiation and they're hesitant to expose you to more radiation than they need to. Uh, so they're just, they're very much taking a wait and see and, and, and just waiting to see what they can, what hopefully will happen and hopefully that I will simply get better. Until finally on Wednesday, uh, I honestly, I don't remember exactly how this happened, but they, well, <laughs> there's, there's the, the precursor to this, which is the NG tube, which I don't know if either of you are familiar with. I am not familiar with the NG tube. It doesn't sound fun. It, it I mean, does any of this? Uh, that is the... Oh, I, I, I don't even really nasogastric tube. I think. Oh, that's horrible. Basically, oh. yeah, it's the one. It's the one through your nose and and then down your throat. It is awful. It is absolutely the, the pain aside. It is the worst thing that I have gone through, uh, because to to put this in, you need to be well. I don't know if you need to be awake, but I was awake. Right, and you're catheterized too, right? Uh, at this point, I don't think I was. Oh, okay. And that actually, that happened later, and that was not nearly as bad, because uh, <laughs> okay. I think I was asleep when that happened. That's nice. But yeah, that's, that's also not a fun one. Uh, but the NG tube, they, you know, they, they, <laughs> again, we're, we're getting real graphic with this, but they, they shove a tube in your nose and down your throat and into your stomach, and the idea is that they need to be able to pump out what is in your stomach, because your body is not doing it for you, so... If you're going to pump something out of your stomach, though, where you want it to do is go up your throat and out your nose. Well, I mean, it's in a tube. So once it's in there, it's not actually that bad. It's the process of getting this forced into you that's sort of awful. And when they did it the first time, they, they I, I believe the process is to have you swallow as you do it. So you're swallowing water and that the, uh, what is that? the peristaltic, peristaltic process brings the tube down and it's great. It's, it should be easy. The first time they did this, I had a a young doctor who I guess either didn't know the procedure or was trying a different procedure and uh, didn't have me swallowing anything. So they were basically just forcing it down there and it was horrific. It didn't stay down. And within about an hour, I'd coughed the thing out. Mm. So this is actually the absolute worst part of this entire stay was the second time they wanted to put it in. Uh, It came out and they said, no, it needs to be in there. We need to do this again. And I couldn't deal with it. Uh, mentally, I could not deal with the thought of having to do that again. And fortunately, a different doctor had come on and a different nurse, and they had me drink water and do it, and it was not nearly so bad. But I think it was mostly not nearly so bad because they had given me some sort of sedative, uh, which made the whole process much easier mentally. The whole thing was awful, but that you know two-hour period was absolutely the worst, where they were inserting this tube, and it came out, and it had to go back in, and uh, mentally, I just could not deal with the thought of having to do that again. I think I might throw up just listening to this. <laughs> and that's actually a great time to mention our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. If there were ever a better time for a sponsor break, I don't know what it would be. Today's Unprofessional is brought to you by Empirical Development. 
Empirical Development is one of the world's greatest iOS and Mac development teams, offering design, development, and leadership to Fortune 500 companies and independent developers alike. Let's get back to this really gross story with Paul. Right, so Paul's there, <laughs> they've done various horrible things to him, and they eventually they identify the problem. Well, so right, so that, that's, yeah, right, so that's where this was going, was that that was the day that they finally figured out what was wrong, four days in. Uh, they had me, they finally said, okay, we're going to do another CT scan because you're not getting better, and... If you get cancer 30 years from now, that's better than you dying right now, uh, is I believe how the equation works. Got it. So I again had to do the barium test and swallow this god-awful fruit punch, do a CT scan, and they do it, and I go back up to the room, and very shortly after, uh, doctors are rushing in, and they're saying, okay, we have figured out the problem, and you are going into surgery immediately. <laughs> which is usually a good thing, right? When you need immediate emergency surgery, that's that's always good. See, to me, that's like totally, I, I, I don't know. I feel like at that moment, you must have felt a little bit excited. Like, hey, they they know something now, they think, and there's a solution potentially. I, I knew when, like when I went in for the kidney stones, both times I didn't know that it was gonna, for sure there was going to be a kidney stone. And when they said it was, you know, there's medicines we can give you. I was just so grateful that there was potentially a solution to this horrible problem. Right. I, I think, well, I think I was a little out of it at that point, but I think generally it's, yeah, it's once you at least know what the issue is and know how to address it, that's certainly better than the four days of just sitting in pain and trying not to take pain meds and, and trying to, to figure out what the problem is. Right. Uh, so, so you asked long ago what the issue was, and, and this is the, the reason I didn't mention it is because I wanted people to go through what I did where they were waiting to figure it out. <laughs> it turns out you have herpes. No. He's pregnant. No, they don't have emergency surgery for that, I, I understand. Got it. Uh, no, what it was was a, uh, I guess, a stricture of some sort across my intestines, which were pinching them shut. So if you know what your intestines do, and you can think of like a, a balloon animal, and if you pinch it shut, uh, or a hose, if you pinch that shut, it's not going to work very well. And if you know what your intestines do, you know that that's not going to be very good for you. So there was a, a full ground stoppage on your bowels, is what you're telling me. Exactly. Fortunately for me, the surgery that they did was just cutting that. Uh, again, if you pinch a hose shut, your fist is what's holding it shut. And if you remove your fist, then the hose will go back to normal. And that was the issue here. I guess for some people, they have to actually cut out part of the intestines and stitch it back together. And that's oh, when God. things get really gross, because then there's all sorts of infections you can get. I did not need that. I just needed to have the, the kink removed. Uh, but so they, they, uh, gutted me like a fish for about, about a six inch scar on my stomach. And, uh, I don't know what they did in there. Uh, hopefully they didn't insert anything. Hopefully there's nothing left in there. Hopefully they only took things out, but, uh, somebody's watch, watch, sterile sponge, something, uh, you know, it's been nine months now. So hopefully uh, my body's adapted to whatever it is, Right. but they, they took out the stricture and while they were in there, they also took out the appendix cause why the hell not? Right. <laughs> we're, we were in the neighborhood. Yeah, well, I think that I think that is actually what happened. Uh, I think they were slightly inflamed, but not enough that they would have removed them otherwise. Uh, but there's no reason to have them, and so you know why not get rid of this ticking time bomb while you're in there? Right. Uh, so yeah, so I'm trying to think. Wednesday night, I guess it was Wednesday night that I had the surgery, and they took me in, and I don't even think I did a countdown like you see in movies and TV shows. Uh, I I went from being aware and you know signing off on the surgery and them telling me what was about to happen to it being over and that was it there is a you know I, I however long the surgery was i think a couple hours uh you know a 90 minute or two hour gap 
where I just was gone. And then I woke up and, uh, you know, was certainly doing a lot better at that point. I'm glad. I'm glad you lived. Yeah, because then who, who would we have on the show this week? This, this show would be much less gross if I hadn't, but... I, I guess my biggest question, because, I mean, I, I, I mean I, I, this story sounds just horrible, and the whole experience sounds like it probably was less fun than one might imagine. But was there ever an inclination? Did they ever figure out, basically, why you would have developed this obstruction in your bowel? Why it was strictured shut? Nope. And how great is that? God. Is that terrifying? Like, so for me, I'm saying, I, I, as I mentioned already, I'm terrified every day. Like, every time I go to pee, I'm like, is this going to hurt now? Uh, and I can't get over it because I don't know what caused my kidney stones. So are you, are you, do you, when you go to sleep, you're like, man, I, don't, I hope I don't wake up in horrible, crippling pain today. I hadn't previously. I mean, at this point, I think you've talked me into it. But well, I'm happy to help. Thanks, Lex. No, I, I, I think it's something where this is something that's not dietary, not hereditary, not anything. It's... I, as far as I understand it, it was a freak thing. Horrible and, luck. Right, just bad luck. So hopefully uh, that doesn't happen again. And, and, you know, it's something where they don't expect it to happen again. And they, don't, they didn't tell me to do anything differently or to watch out for anything or, you know, really anything. So, uh, yeah, it's not something that I'm, I'm worried about happening again. But who the hell knows? Maybe it will. I've been in and out of hospitals, not for myself, but for people close to me, I think more than the average person. And the thing that always strikes me is how little the doctors seem to know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, we don't, we don't know how that happened. We don't know what's causing this. We don't know why. And, that, oh, God, that just scares the hell out of me. Well, I mean, we want to think of the body as a machine that we understand. And, you know, your car is having trouble because, you know, it's burning oil when it shouldn't be or because there is a fuel leak or, you know, whatever problem on a car, we can identify it and either fix it or junk the car and get a new car. On the body, first of all, that second option isn't there. And when they don't, when they can't figure out what it is, that's sort of terrifying because shouldn't we know this stuff already? Yeah, and to take it a, a, a layer even further, what bothers me is I always want that sense of whatever I don't know, there's some grown-up with authority that, that understands things that I don't. I want to know that there's if, – if I can't figure something out by reading an article on the internet or reading Wikipedia, somebody knows these things and can fix them for me. And when there's just no answer, we, we, we have no idea. There's nobody to turn to. I think that's what scares me. I mean, I find it all terrifying. I just live every day in fear. But right. if you've, if you've focused on something, yeah. See, for me, it's, it's funny, too, to me, Paul, funny in a you know, horrible and sad way, that both of your major medical issues were related to, you know, let's call it the swimsuit region, basically. You know, it was, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> because, it, you know, so, too, have most of my hospitalizations focused in the same region. My, my, you know, my other thing that I've been in the hospital for numerous times for surgery is not nearly as horrible as what you went through with your intestines. And I don't mean to draw any other comparison other than that they both, at the end of the day, involve the tushy region. But uh, where are you going with this? Uh, to my ass specifically, but no, I've had uh, four or five. I literally have lost count. Uh, surgical procedures on cysts in the that f these and these are genetically inclined inclined occurrences, but cysts at the uh, in the buttock region that I've had to get removed, and they do all kinds of different surgeries to remove these cysts. And uh, the best ones are when they remove it and they don't sew your body back together and they cut out, you know, like 
inches deep of skin, and instead of uh. sewing it back together, uh, you pack it by hand each day with gauze yourself, because who oh, else is really going to be willing to do that for you? Um, but I would take these four-inch square sheets of gauze. You have four of those, and you put those in, and you fold in some other ones, and, and packing this wound every day on its own until it heals up by itself. And it was horrible, but still, I, would, I think I would rather have gone through that multiple times, which I have, than go through what you did. I had a, I bought a new set of knives and, <laughs> and I was, I was making an omelet at midnight for some reason. And I was used to my old knives where if I, I'd cut an onion, I just kind of like get halfway through and then I'd take both hands and push it down. My new knife was really sharp and I gave it a little bit more effort than maybe I should have. Maybe more force than was required. And I didn't think about where my hand was and I wound up cutting off the tip of my finger. Oh. And it wasn't. It wasn't so bad that like I was going to die. I needed to rush to the ER or anything, but like blood was gushing out. All the all the, the typical ruined the freaking stuff. omelet. It did. It actually did ruin the omelet. It was, it was awful. Uh, but a good a good I don't know quarter inch of the the tip of my my ring finger on my, my left hand. We we rushed to um, like to, to see if there's a first aid kit in the house. We didn't have anything, so we rushed to a grocery store to see if they had a first aid kit. They were closed. So we go to Seven Eleven. They don't even have band aids. So what I wound up doing was uh, packing the wound with a uh, tampon, roughly the manliest way you can you can handle that situation. And and did you go to the ER? No, no, it wasn't that? it wasn't that bad. It wasn't so bad that I needed to go that far with it. But I did end up doing the the packing the wound thing repeatedly. So did... hopefully later with proper gauze or something. Well, sort of. A weird thing happened where I guess it was just deep enough that the 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 blood clotting had fused my skin to the outer layer of the tampon. I'm unsubscribing from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this is the most disgusting thing we could be talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I might just hang up. This is Well, I needed something that was designed for uh, absorbing blood and it seemed logical. Sure. I mean, I see the logic. doesn't make it any less yeah. awful. Well, it felt pretty awful. Well, Paul, I have to say, I don't think I have stopped wincing for the entirety of this podcast. That's yeah, and I'm pretty much planning to go crawl into a corner and start sobbing as soon as we're finished. Great, that's that, is that what we were shooting for? So th- thank you for helping bring us down. <laughs> so Paul, when you're when you're not in the hospital, what do you do? <laughs> Tell us about yourself. Uh, mostly, I make people wince and cry, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's very fulfilling. 